This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome into our Election Eve podcast here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Yes, indeed, Election Eve here in Rhode Island and across the country in what is undoubtedly going to be a major, major midterm election. And, you know, you look at some of the 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 predictions and where things have kind of shifted even in these last days here in terms of races that were a toss-up. Many, many of these races on a national scale in terms of congressional races especially have started to, to slide to favoring the Republican. And you got to wonder here in Rhode Island how that congressional district two race between Republican Alan Fung, the former mayor of Cranston, and our general treasurer, Seth Magaziner, the Democrat, how that is going to play out. You know, the polling in that race has, in terms of at least, you know, media organizations, academia, so on and so forth, public-facing polls has favored Fung heavily. But, you know, in the most recent debates, the issue of Social Security has been the thing that has, in some ways, boxed Alan Fung into a corner. While he keeps on using the example of, well, look, my mother, you know, I would never cut her Social Security. It's, it's not about that, right? It's about... That this isn't an ex post facto scenario. In other words, if you're somebody who is already an, a Social Security recipient, the Republican plan, if you will, the Kevin McCarthy idea with reforming Social Security isn't about taking away benefits from current recipients, but about making changes going forward. And while you can make an argument, and I think it's a reasonable one at a certain level, that you know you elect Alan Fung, you get a Republican down in Washington that is um, you know somewhat moderate, at least in terms of what he's been pushing on the Social Security issue, and saying he'd never cut Social Security, and somehow you know one way or another he ends up in 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 the room or just being a part of the caucus, he can bring that that perspective to the table. Look. The Republican Party is going to move in the direction that they want to move in if they are able to take back the House. And we've heard talk today that Marjorie Taylor Greene is making a play to be on House oversight. Um, Donald Trump expected to announce a 2024 presidential campaign shortly. And, you know, as much as Alan Fung has done everything that he can to distance himself uh, within reason, distance himself from that scene. Look, at the end of the day, you know, that is going to be on voters' minds when they go to the polls tomorrow. Now, something like 20% of voters have already cast ballots, either through early voting, mail in ballots, so on and so forth. But tomorrow, when people go to the polls in a state that is, you know, it's blue, but it is a moderate blue. I have no idea how this thing is going to play out. Are people going to say, you know, geez, you know, I like Alan Fung, you, you know, I like them as mayor, but you know, and maybe I don't even like Seth Magaziner. We can't have at least Rhode Island attached to any of the policies that are going to be pushed by the Republican Party or the direction that the party's going in. We can't associate Rhode Island with that. And even though an Alan Fung vote may not be the thing that flips the balance of power inside the House of Representatives from Democrat to Republican, we don't want to be a part of that. And I don't want to be a part of that. I might, I'm not going to pull the lever for Alan Fung simply on those grounds. No matter how it plays out, right now, you know, you look at the, um, whether it's Cook, well, there's so many different uh, predictors 
that are leaning Republican right now in Rhode Island in terms of the Congressional District 2 race. But it's so difficult to say exactly what the psychology of the average voter that's going to turn up or has already cast a ballot is. What the, the issues that are critical to them, most likely, in addition to issues like abortion, guns, so on and so forth, it's, it's going to be economy. You know, whether that's inflation, whether that's, you know, Social Security, however it plays out, that's going to be front and center. Both of the candidates have made a play on those grounds, especially here in the closing month with Seth Magaziner really quadrupling down on this Social Security question. I just don't know. I don't know. Do, do people look at a Magaziner and say, hey, geez, you know, he just doesn't represent me. I know Funk's talking about Social Security cuts or or, or he's, he's going to vote for Speaker McCarthy who... You know, by default, Fung will be associated with Social Security cuts and and so on and so forth. But you know, geez, I, I gotta go. I gotta lean Fung because he, you know, he he speaks a more uh, a, a a a version of societal and economic reform that that is more uh, in line with my own thinking. Or do people say, hey, geez, you know, there's no chance that we can lean conservative? or go conservative, or support a Republican agenda, that is the furthest thing that we need when it comes to any kind of economic reform. I don't know. Both candidates have laid as much of the the, the ground as they could possibly lay in these, in these final months, I think, with one exception, and that would be something that I read in The Nation today, which is something that uh, some of you have written to me about, you know, the role of the Federal, Federal Reserve. Nobody's really been talking about that in all of this. And I wonder if that's too wonky or too outside of the, you know, the day-to-day understanding that many of the low-information voters have about politics to even be a factor. But look, it's going to come down to the economy, and it's going to come down to at the end of the day, did Fung or did Magaziner sell that their plan, that their associates, that the direction that they want to see the country go better serves the short and long-term of economic turnaround, so to speak. That's going to be the bit, that's going to be the big question there. And we're going to be watching this race super closely as with all the races, obviously. That's what we do. But, you know, on a national scale, you'll see the results or the or the the returns even on this Fung Magazine or Congressional District 2 Rhode Island race uh popping up. It is a national race. It is a part of a broad likely flip of the house to red. Now on the Senate side, no competitive Senate races here. Obviously in Pennsylvania, you know, many other places that is not the case and that is something to keep an eye on as well. And certainly something we will be doing uh throughout our coverage tomorrow here on 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 Bartholomew Town through all the social media and on the radio on WPRO, which by the way, will be on right after Providence College Friars basketball on the radio with live election night coverage myself, Jim Hummel and the WPRO newsroom along with the Boston Globe. We're doing a partnership on this that we're able to orchestrate. I'm really excited about that. So tune in tomorrow around 8.30 p.m. or so when things really start to get interesting anyway on the radio, WPRO. That's 99.7 FM, AM 6.30. But how about the governor's race? You know, today Kalis was out and about. She told Steve Clampkin from WPRO in a in an interview that the race is tied. Now, I don't know if that's based on 
optimism, if that's based on wishful thinking, if she's seeing internal polls, it's certainly not in anything external. But look, Ashley Kalis has lobbed through a repeated and repeated and repeated effort the notion that Governor Dan McKee is corrupt, you know, he's under FBI investigation, he's bad for small businesses, which quite frankly, that that is definitely not true. But that his vision for Rhode Island is ineffective and that she can come in and whatever. She moved here a year ago or something like that. doesn't matter. She's going to come in and she's going to clean things up. She's a fighter. She's an outsider. The people buy into it. I do not think that this race is wrapped up for Dan McKee. I do not think that the governor's campaign, his uh, governmental staff, his family, the people that are closest to him, I don't think they go to bed tonight exorbitantly confident. Again, I'm not in the prediction business here. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know that, that, that without question, Ashley Kalis goes into to the election tomorrow with a reasonable shot at pulling off an amazing upset. And what would be just a stunning but attainable victory. Now, forget about the whole Democrats for Kalis. And, and, come on, folks, that, that's utter nonsense. I mean, that that is absolute 100% nonsense. The people that she's picked up, you know, former speaker Matt Smith, Maddie Smith, come on, man. Dick Fossa, I mean, please. You know, a handful of people here and there from Democratic town committees and town councils. Look, you know, if she had Joe Shikarchi, you know, if she had Gina Raimondo, you know, if she had Jorge Lorza, come out for her maybe you'd be making noises uh, make making a noise about the fact that there's a democrats for Kalis machine that's not what this is it's the again low information voter the person who says hey you know what i have a grievance i don't like the way things are going this lady Kalis seems like she's going to turn that grievance of of mine around so i'm going to go out and vote for her i don't know how many of those people are out there you know, you, you, you court enough people from that type of perspective blended with true conservatives and, you know, independents that are, you know, just always looking to be uh, casting some kind of contrarian vote. I think it's possible that this thing comes down to the wire. Now, Kalis has some, some problems against her. In terms of the independent candidates, I don't know, Zach Hurwitz, what kind of, you know, he's the URI kid, he's like 18 years old or something like that. I don't know if he cracks 1%. But Paul Rihanna and Eliza Gizzarelli, you know, Rihanna, he's the Freedom Fighters guy, anti-vax mandate, you know, wears the Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt to events, so on and so forth. You know, she, he sucks up one, one and a half, maybe 2% of the conservative vote. Gizzarelli sucks up one, one and a half percent of the conservative vote through the libertarian. Add that up 
add that up, those three points, you know, I don't think the race will be decided by the existence of the third party candidates. But hey, it's not going to help Kayla. So in that regard, from that standpoint, Dan McKee has to feel like, all right, at least the 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 role of the third party, there's not a left, you know, it's not like Matt Brown or Munoz ran his independence against him. That's going to suck two, three, four, even 5% of a progressive vote away. So from that standpoint, Dan McKee has to feel pretty good. You know, hey, look, again, impossible to know who turns up at the polls. Who makes that decision? Either go vote early, send the mail ballot in, or turn up on election day. But it's the type of voter that shows up that will decide these races. And I don't mean party affiliation. I mean engagement with issues. You know, Kalis with her, her teal and light blue color scheme and some, some of her messaging, you know, she's certainly not playing into the far right. The question is, does the far right get motivated and in a coalition with the, you know, the semi-conservatives, the, the Republican uh, base outside of the Trumpians, whatever that is, if that even exists, I don't even know, do they show up? So governors, you know, it's going to be really fascinating. And when we talk about a red wave or whatever it may be, you know, does it trickle down to the point where people have said, hey, I've seen on you know Fox News or I've heard on some radio show or I've read in some newsletter or something like that, that you know the future of democracy is at stake. The future of our human society is at stake. We can't let uh, you know the runaway policies of Biden infiltrate our economic infrastructure, our schools, you know, whatever it is, and, and, and get motivated to vote. You know, it was that kind of mentality that got Trump elected. It's not impossible that there is an upset in the governor's race. Now, I think Dan McKee goes, goes to sleep tonight knowing that, hey, look, they did a pretty good job of building a campaign based around, you know, the 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 work that Dan McKee has done since becoming governor in 20 or so months and focusing on those details. And I think a lot of the negatives against Dan McKee, you know, his his relationship with the media, which hasn't been very good, you know, some of his lackluster uh, decision-making that that people point out at, at times, I don't think that impacts that, again, lower information voter who will decide this race if, in fact, it is going to swing Kalis. But Dan McKee has the backing of the unions. This is a democratic state. And there are plenty. You want to talk about Democrats for Kalis? There are legitimate Republicans for McKee. You go into some of the more conservative parts of this state and you will see signs for Republican council candidates, down-ballot candidates, Alan Fung, and McKee. It is not uncommon to see that combination. And by not being a far-left Democrat, quote-unquote, Dan McKee actually is in a better position than if somebody had been elected who 
you know, won that primary, that Democratic primary that would be quote unquote far left. Because this matchup, I think, in terms of the, the independent voter, the informed independent voter, definitely favors McKee. But hey, you know, that's why they play the game. That's why they have the election. Anything's possible. Down ballot, thinks Sabina Matos has to feel good about the fact that even though she's getting beat up about her defund the police vote back in 2020, you know, again, most people aren't paying attention to that. You know, a lot of that stuff ends up just being utter nonsense. People don't even know who the lieutenant governor is. They're not paying attention to this stuff. But Aaron Gukian has run a competitive campaign. And, you know, they want to compare resumes. You know, Gukian, kind of a mid-level banker, worked for Kachiri, worked for the Rhode Island Foundation. Sabina Matos has been a, and she is an extremely underestimated political leader in this state. She is very, very politically savvy. She's very well connected through her own work, through her husband's work, through 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 a network that is um, a lot more vast than a quick glance might lead you to believe. But it'll be interesting to watch. Obviously, Attorney General, Secretary of State, we all know who's going to win that. Treasurer is going to be really fascinating as well. Theosa versus Lathrop. The Battle of the Jameses. James Central. James.com. You know, the people vote based on a resume, based on experience in the financial world, or do they, ba- they do so based on municipal and, and governmental elected leadership? Or, most likely... Do they just go in, not have a clue who either of these people are, and just vote the party line? So a lot to watch for, you know? How much of a reflection of the national trends will Rhode Island be? Will Will Rhode Island mirror national trends, or will it be a standout, an outlier? A major question, which we're going to watch play out tomorrow. Is Rhode Island an outlier? Now, there's still a chance that the Democrats could control the House, and it's not a given. But if you have any reason to trust the prognostication and the expertise of the media and academic predictors that have been put forth. That's highly unlikely. So that being a fundamental starting point, it leaves a very simple question. Will Rhode Island mirror the national trends or will we be a significant outlier? Will we be swimming down the river or swimming up the river? That's the big question to watch for. All right, I'll be out and about tomorrow. You know what I do if you follow along. If you don't, well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Bill Bartholomew, TikTok, at Bill Bartholomew, official. 
and I'll be posting. Um, you know, I go around. I talk to some candidates. I talk to some people on the street. I get polling numbers. Uh, not polling numbers. I get election uh, totals and things like that from different polling places and uh, report it out. And then I'll be on WPRO, of course, 3 to 6 on the Dan York Show in the afternoon. Polls close around... At, at The polls close at 8, and then around 8.30, I'll be hosting our WPRO Election Central election night coverage live on the radio. I'll have Jim Hummel by my side, the mighty Jim Hummel of the Hummel Report, Rhode Island PBS and the Providence Journal. Um, our newsroom will have Bill Haberman in studio. We'll have Steve Klempkin and Paul Zangari out in the field. Plus, I'll be joined by Dan McGowan, Ed, Ed Fitzpatrick, and Amanda Milkovitz of the Boston Globe at various points throughout the night. And again, it's a WPRO uh, Boston Globe collaboration that we were able to work out and I'm really excited about that that we'll be we'll be working together on the uh, the election central coverage so that's tomorrow night hey you know Rhode Island the outlier or the mirror you know this magaziner this McKee does do the down ballot candidates and the Democratic side all pull it out in spite of of a literally red moon that's going to be in the sky tomorrow. You know, I mean, talk about a, a, a predictor for the right. Oh, my God. There's going to be some kind of eclipse, and the moon is going to be red. I mean, you kidding me? Are we an outlier, or do we just are we in lockstep with what's going on nationally? That's the big question, and we're going to answer it tomorrow. And you know what? Voting locally. I mean, you guys know I really care about local politics. It's a great opportunity. And I hope, you, I hope you're engaged. And I hope you tell people to get engaged. Because this is a big one. It really is. Have a great night, everybody. Or if you're listening to this on Election Day, have a great day. Remember, follow on Twitter and Instagram especially, at Bill Bartholomew, and I'll meet you there uh, throughout the course of the day tomorrow. And then, of course, on the radio, 3 to 6, and then from about 8.30 until, hey, I'm going to make an extra cup of coffee. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I was on a call with the Board of Elections this uh, this afternoon. I think we're going to have results pretty early tomorrow. But a lot of these races are going to come down to the wire. So we may we may, we may have a long night ahead. I'll be there with you. See you tomorrow. Join WPRO's Election Central on Election Night, Tuesday, November 8th, as WPRO News Director Bill Haberman, Bill Bartholomew, and our panel of experts break down the local and national results as they come in. Tune in Tuesday after the Friars game for complete coverage. WPRO's Election Central is sponsored by LiquorRI.com, your favorite beverage delivered to your door anywhere in Rhode Island. With the increasing legalization of cannabis across the country, including most recently Rhode Island, the cannabis industry is growing at a rapidly accelerating pace. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, well, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help educate you in the evolving space. 
fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the online certificate program covers topics related to product development, chemical analysis and testing, and patient and customer therapeutics. The next application deadline for the spring 2023 session is November 29th, and courses start January 10th. Join them at two upcoming info sessions and learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401-874-5280.